Hey everyone, Benji here from the Contractor Evolution Studio. So today on the show, we are doing a budgeting 101 style episode with my co-host Igor Trinanich. And this topic is such a foundational part of any entrepreneur's tool belt that we just thought it'd be a good idea to have him on and go super deep on this subject matter. Now, Igor has a business degree specializing in accounting from the BD School of Business here in Vancouver. He has also been a super successful painting franchisees for many years within a robust franchise system. He parlayed that into working on the franchisor side for another five years, including the early development of what has become Canada's largest residential window cleaning company, Shackshine. Uh, he is co-founder and currently managing director of Breakthrough Academy, which trains hundreds of contractors and home service businesses that combined altogether do over a billion dollars a year in revenue. He routinely manages large budgets and P&Ls that include millions of dollars in labor per year. So to say the least, he is no stranger to knowing the numbers. Uh, some really big takeaways I got from this episode were the importance of dialing in your own chart of accounts that fit your business and your management style, rather than just kind of copy pasting what your accountant gives you without fully understanding it. He talks a lot about how to analyze last year's numbers, learn from them, and from there, make an intentional change to next year's plan. And lastly, what to do if you write a budget for the year, but you don't like the numbers it's spitting out. So listen close because this episode is packed with gems. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Okay, so Igor, um, really excited to do this with you. We're going to talk about budgeting, unbelievably fundamental business skill, and I thought we would start with kind of an easy one for you. Uh, why is mastering a budget such a such a sort of bedrock skill to get good at not just for each year but your entire career as a business owner totally is right so when you think about your like management and leadership tool belts as a business owner there's certain i mean there are a lot of skills that need to go into that tool belt one of the most fundamental like a real bedrock one is this budgeting piece because so much of your strategic plan in business and all these things that you're going to go do throughout any given quarter any given year are stemmed in financials really right like business is an exercise of money and there's a lot of elements to you got to take care of people you got to take care of customers but if a business isn't profitable it really doesn't serve its purpose to, to its stakeholders to its investors and that can just be you you can have multiple shareholders but at the end of the day business is a financial exercise and it's your job it's your your one of your real primary jobs as a, as a leader and as a business owner to ensure that the business is profitable so as you go throughout any given year, any quarter, you as a leader are going to have to make important strategic decisions with your team. And what I find is that, uh, and I see this all the time, business owners who have a strong financial plan, like a very well thought through budget are going to be able to be so much more decisive mm. in their decision making. Right. Right. And if you, I mean, if you think about it, your job is really ultimately to make decisions like is yes or no. Are we doing option A, B or C? 
when are we executing on this? You're like a decision-making machine, really. Mm -hmm. And how do you make good, decisive, fundamentally strong decisions if you don't even have a financial plan that that you're basing on? You can't, right? So as a leader, if you are to be strong, clear, decisive, and communicate well, um, you have to be rooted like in, in your decisions right down to the financial level where you're like, when you say we are doing this, it's because you've budgeted for it. You've planned for it. Uh, it just allows you to be so much more decisive. So I think that that's one of the more like really foundational pieces where it links up to your, to your ability to just be a good leader with your people. Without, without financial underpinnings, a lot of your choices are wishy-washy. Totally. You, you may have a tendency to kick the can down the road. You may actually in front of your team, like the optics of it aren't good. 100%. You're coming across being like, oh, well, we might do that. We might not. I'm not 100% sure yet. Let me get back to you. Like, mm-hmm. like just purely from a, um, uh, like being in charge of your people in a really clear, really confident way, uh, not having this is, is kind of not a good look. 100%. And I'll give you some like, kind of tangible examples, right? So like right now we're going through, for instance, like a very large like internal systems change, like the actual CRM. And there's a lot of technology that 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 kind of circulates around that CRM. Mm-hmm. All of it's changing. And when I go to the team, I'm like, we are doing this and it needs to be done by this day. Uh, I know that because I've budgeted $120,000 this year and about $100,000 next year for it. So I know that we're, I can confidently say we're moving forward on this and it needs to be, phase one needs to be in by this date and phase two needs to be in by this date because it's in my plan. I'm not second guessing myself. It's totally premeditated. Totally. I didn't come up with it the night before. Okay. So, so decisiveness, what else? Decisiveness is a big one. Um, when it comes to people and payroll planning, that's another really big one. So when, when when we're going to the people that are driving recruiting, I can say like, I need this roll in by June 1st. I need this roll in by September 15th, so on and so forth. And we can decisively plan changes to the org structure that I know that we need based off of the business's mm. growth because we budgeted for it. The other part is also when it comes to bonuses, raises, all that kind of stuff. Like we can be way more decisive and clear of like, this is what, this is the performance of this person. And this is the type of raise they're getting. This is the performance of that person here, the bonuses that are available to them. So from like a people planning org structure, payroll planning, bonuses, raises, all that kind of stuff, you can be so much more clear if you've, if you've actually really thought through this before going into a fiscal year. So I know, I know I want to really talk about timing later around all this, but as you go into a fiscal year, thinking through this stuff is super important because those are, again, coming back to a leadership and decisiveness uh, kind of point of view, you can really only do that if you've thought through your financials well in advance. Right. And so for like, you think about the the context we're speaking to this from, most of our listeners are running fast growing businesses. They need to add key people each season, maybe a 100%. few. Some of those people are going to totally deserve raises or, or different mm-hmm. comp structures every year. Mm-hmm. Um, without this, you are you really lack the ability to do that. Or if you're doing it, you're, you might even be doing it for the wrong reasons. Maybe you actually avoid making a hire because you're like, I'm not sure if we can totally. afford it. I hear that all the time. Yeah. You're driving a fast car with blinders on. Like you've got a little bit of eyesight, not right. all of it. Right. Right. Whereas there's a feeling as a leader of being fully eyes open. Like I understand the numbers like the back of my hand, 
right? And it just allows me to be so much more decisive of like, yes, have this person hired by June the 15th, this salary. These four people get this kind of raise. These two people get this kind of raise. Yeah. Right? Yes, have this large initiative implemented. The spend is approved for July 15th. Move it forward, $120,000. I have this conversation a lot. Yeah, people are like, okay, so we are slammed right now. Our production plan is like, you Mm -hmm. know, booked out three months in advance. Mm -hmm. We could really, really, really use a production manager, but I don't actually know. Totally. I don't know if we can bring them in and I don't even know what to pay them. I'm like, Oh, we're putting this off. And and you're going like, man, you are totally bottlenecked right now. And it's because you're not sure who you can afford this year because you haven't given this enough thought. 100%, right? And and that's well, that's one of the key points I want to make is when you think of like a good strategic plan, which which is a whole other episode and we'll really dive into that at, and in its own time, but in order to formulate like a robust strategic plan for a lot of these kind of things of like one of our key initiatives this year might be to hire an operations manager, a production manager, whatever, but you've if you've not thought through the financial implications of all that and how there's an ROI on that individual and how they're not going to be a cost, but an actual bring a return on investment investment to the business, um, you can't be decisive in that decision-making, right? So, so that, that's, that's, that, that I think is, is, is a really fundamental point. And it really also does, it's not just people, but it's all those larger investments, whether there are certain marketing initiatives, rebranding, diving into mass recruiting campaigns, um, getting into other capital investments on equipment, all this kind of stuff. It, It really like helps you to not have these jerk emotional reactions, but rather, have stuff that's stemmed in actual numbers and data that's been very premeditated. Um, Before we move on, I want to make one other really important point on this, which is your learning as a leader is super important. If you can only develop this skill through repetition, right? It's like working out or sports, staying fit, all that kind of stuff. You don't, it's not just a one and done kind of deal. One of the biggest benefits of doing this consistently is that you're able to regularly learn and develop year after year after year by being able to learn from your mistakes. Um, and and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this later because it's such a big point. But what I want to illustrate is, so I've done, you know, I think it's now eight annual strategic planning sessions in a row, like robust multi-day, mid, early mid-December every year going into the fall for, for the, for the year following. And, um, and I've noticed there's there's also even it's almost like subconscious in a way where I have like an uncanny ability to to not just guess but to be able to structure kind of the projections in certain ways where it even surprises me how accurate they are sometimes. And it's 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 just it's because of this repetition that's yeah. there. I don't have any wasn't born with any crazy innate ability. I've just done it so many times. It's kind of like how can a basketball player like a really well dialed in basketball player literally close their eyes and bang out 10 free throws in a row right. with their eyes closed because they've just done the reps. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it, it's that same kind of thing. I think, you know, a great example is like last year being at the helm of breakthrough Academy and, and in the budget that we formed mid December, 2019 going into a crazy 2020 with coronavirus implications and all this kind of stuff the end of 2020, we hit 100.1% of a very large budget that was planned out over a year ago before all those crazy changes. And we've pivoted and adjusted so many ways throughout the year, but you hit it within 0.1%. Yeah. Right. That's not, that's not by accident. Those are the reps that 
that have led to that. Well, there these the like a, a, a budget acts in a way as like a feedback machine. Hundred percent. Every single exactly. year, you draw it up. You say these are the goals. Hey, this is the revenue I'd like to see. This is what I want to see in net profit. These are the initiatives we're going to have to execute to make that happen. And this is what I think we're going to need to spend in order to do, to do all that. And then at the end, you get to review and see how accurate you were. And totally. I bet eight years ago, you're not coming in at 100.1. You're <laughs> no. coming in there, you're 25% off. You more. May, maybe more. And more. that's, that's yeah. fine. That's not the totally. point. The point is you get, you set a standard for yourself and then you looked at the actual results and you see the gap and then you can start to tweak over time. 100%. When, when Michael Jordan shot his first 100 free throws, he missed a lot. He missed a lot, right? And, and, and that, that, that's the deal, right? It's, it's an exercise of reps. I want to throw, I got a question for you, Benji, but before, before I get to it, I just want to throw one more thing in there. I think budgeting and this whole exercise is so tactically important. And there's a lot of how-to steps that we'll, we'll get into here in a second. But I want to throw one other thing out there that's a bit more, uh, we could call it fluffy. <laughs> but I've seen this year after year, and I do think it's a real thing. There's something powerful about saying you're going to go do something and thinking through it, right? It's not it's not random. You've thought through it strategically, but you said you're going to do something and you put it down on paper, mm -hmm. or in this case, into your computer, and you said, this is the annual financial plan and structure. There's something to that that happens in the world when you, can, when you very clearly commit that to yourself and to other stakeholders in the business. And you're like, this is what we are going to do. Mm -hmm. You're putting it out there for there's, the universe's help. There's something going on there. I totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen it year after year. So anyway, I want to ask you a question. Uh, when you look at uh, prospects and applicants to the to the Breakthrough Academy program, uh, what is the difference between those that 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 come in and have this mindset around operations with a dialed in budget versus what we might call freewheelers that just mm. wing go into the year? Yeah. Let's work hard. Let's do what we can. And then let's talk to the accountant at the end of the year. Right. Freewheeling. See what happened. Um, that's a really good question. Okay. So with, with the freewheelers, there's a couple things that I've observed. Um, so the first is, I think a lot of the times business owners fundamentally misjudge where their profit centers are. Totally. And so you'll see people, you'll see entrepreneurs uh, they'll tell me explicitly, you know, we, we do these types of jobs and these types of types of jobs, but this is where we make all the dough. This yeah. is where all the money is. And it's and cool. Then, <laughs> and it's, and it's cool. And so, and then you're like, okay, we'll, we'll see. And then six months goes by, a year goes by, we start working with them. We track their actual numbers. We get really accurate job costing. We're monitoring their overhead. We're comparing it to their peers. Like we, you know, there's a pretty high level of analysis that we go through to actually fact check that. And and they're wrong a lot of the time. So a here's a classic example. Um, like in landscaping, this comes up a lot. You'll, you'll talk to landscapers and they are convinced that all their money is being made off of these big, sexy construction projects. They're building $100,000 front yards or quarter million dollar oh. like landscapes for rich clients on these big sweet houses. features we made, And man. they are. And like, let me be clear. They are sick. Like some yeah. of the projects that a lot of our guys and girls build are very, very, very cool. But when we look at the numbers, it's like their dinky little lawn mowing service that's making all the money. And they're barely breaking even on these big okay. projects. And it's taking all of their time, all of their energy, all of this equipment, you're battling with weather. And all of a sudden, we've seen this a handful, like many, many times. Because that's where the emotional... Oh, it's fun. It's super, super right? cool. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why they got be. into it in the first yeah, totally. place. So 
and and it's, it's not to say like you, you shouldn't do landscape construction. It's, it's that's not the point here. The point is like that you're you're actually misjudging where your profit is coming from, and you might think that this little landscape maintenance service division that's only got a few people and just trucks along fairly brainlessly for you month over month is like this you know, not a factor in totally. your business. But totally. now that we look at the P&L, that's actually where you're making all your money. And so what happens from time to time is people will totally shift gears. Oh my God, I didn't, I didn't know that. Let's, let's really develop this maintenance side of things and actually maybe 100%. crank it back on the construction side. 100%. So that, that's a landscaping example. You'll see that in other But it applies too. everywhere, it right? Applies, and and, and to your point, it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, like you should, like everyone should shut off Drop the landscape your construction. No, that's not what I'm saying. Just, we're just illustrating an example, but you see it in other industries, right? Like, is it is it commercial painting or is it your residential side, right? Is it is it storm and insurance roofing or right. is it retail? construction there's just so many different classes and types of work that are done but i think the central point is there is like freewheelers will often be totally eyes closed to where profits actually coming from it's it's it's, it's a really good point um that's one have you also noticed like these people making very emotional decisions that are like that they get excited about certain yeah. things, right? Of like, man, we should really build this new brand or this website, or we should hire these two people because we're so busy right now. It's peak summer, right? Yeah, we, we see, um, you know, we kind of joke a lot in the industry about squirrel syndrome or like you, you, <laughs> like you see a shiny object and you go chase after it. Um, business owners that don't have a really strong budget and a really strong financial underpinning are way more liable to those types of decisions. They get mm-hmm. swept up in them a lot more easily. So um, massive, massive equipment purchases that get made because they're busy for three months. Totally. And then they're stuck on a, like a three-year lease to pay it off and they're 100%. not actually using it as often as they thought they were. Uh, making a big splashy hire that costs a lot of money because you think you need mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, <laughs> Oh my God, this CRM I just saw at this conference is so cool. We absolutely need it next week. It's like, no, you don't. Totally. Um, so there's there's a lot of that type of stuff. And and it's 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 okay to make big capital expenditures, but if you don't, if it's like, you know, going back to the premeditated point, if you've not thought through this and connected to the strategic plan, it's kind of like it's like it's going into a grocery store when you're really hungry. <laughs> Like I need those hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, do you? So, so that that's another one that I see a ton with with the the freewheelers. Hundred um, percent. A big point. I remember um, an old like professor. I think it was at some point in university saying this. Like, what gets measured gets impacted. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's another key point to this. And 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 call it again. Freewheelers are just going. People, if you just go into a year, there's no strategic plan, there's no budget, you're not gonna actually impact stuff, right? Yeah, and, and you and you'll see that very, very clearly, just purely on like a few KPIs, like their net profit percentage and their and the gross profit yeah. percentage. The yeah. guy, the guys that the guys and girls that track it, yeah, you'll see it, you know, uh, way higher versus the the freewheelers. When we when we actually do start to track it, they're often really disappointed with how low it is compared to the people that that are paying attention to that. So yeah. it's it's just it's classic, you know, what what gets measured, what gets measured, gets managed. Totally, and a lot of things in life are like that. Budgeting is 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 no different. It's just such an important one because everything in your business is built on that. So nobody achieves a sixteen percent net profit margin by accident. Totally. Yeah. Right, it's 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 done on purpose. Just just like how LeBron James doesn't 
achieve certain gains or certain improvements in his statistics without focusing on on those skills right right so so those are some yeah those are some observations um i would love to just hear from you igor on sort of some some process related stuff so so tell me a bit about like when you're going into a fiscal year and Mm -hmm. you're you're thinking through what do we want to achieve financially in the next 12 month cycle like what are you actually doing Totally. Yeah. So in one of these sessions, um, there, there's a lot that happens over the course of, let's say like three days in a cabin in the woods, you've got a wood burning stove on, you're there with the key stakeholders of the business. No, seriously, that's how you we can't do write it. a budget without a wood burning stove. So I, can't, I, I can't, I can't, we've got projectors, computers, flip chart paper all over a log cabin. Um, We'll get into the nitty gritty of strategic planning later for this episode. We'll focus just on this budgeting piece, which is of course a huge fundamental part of those three days. Where I really start is number one, dialing in the chart of accounts. So number one, dialing in the chart of accounts. Um, Most people I see have not given nearly enough thought to how they structure the P&L, right? So this is within your profit and loss statement, within your budget essentially like what you've what are these line items and mm-hmm. how are you categorizing them and often what people have is a situation where their accountant has recommended certain ones right. now if you look at our at our company's year-end financial statements like as they come in in the actual like formal set of year-end financial statements they're categorized in this super weird way that are for you know the the the, the CRA in Canada the IRS in the US but that's not at all management. Yeah, yeah, totally. Watch. It's done for tax purposes. It's done for tax purposes. That's how an right. accountant would think, but from a business management perspective. Yeah, they'll call it advertising and, and we might have like half a million dollars or more in right. there, but 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 that's really like six or seven key and very different items that I need to be budgeting for and tracking very separately. Right. Now an accountant will just call it advertising because accountants aren't great at marketing. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it's... Um, you got to really look at this, look at this critically. So back to, you know, you're asking what I do is I even look now I've dialed this in like a decade ago, but um, I'll even look at it every year and say like, is this the right structure moving forward? Do I want to split anything up? Do I want to combine anything? So I'm sometimes making little tweaks, but just to begin at the beginning, what I find most people like haven't even thought about it on a baseline. So really what you need to be doing and looking at is, is fully restructuring for what makes sense for you from a management perspective. So how are you categorizing your variable costs? How are you categorizing your your fixed expenses within the fixed expenses? What are the buckets? Like how are you looking at like all the software that drives the business? How are you looking at payroll and salaries? All the vehicle related stuff, all the marketing related stuff, the recruitment related stuff. So how do you want to structure your budget where you can look at a specific line item where it's 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 you know just go paid media ad spend in Facebook ads, Google ads, Instagram ads, whatever it is. But like, I'm just looking at that. I'm not bulking advertising, including SEO and branding and clothing and physical printing. Those are all different items. I need to budget for them separately. You're going, you're going super granular. It sounds like, and you're, and you're using language that you use within the business. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to not just like the templated terms. IRS, CRA. Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. So I'm thinking what makes sense for me of how I want to think through that budget line by line by line. And then what do I want to know at the end of the year? And ideally, which we'll talk about monthly financial reviews, ideally every month where I'm like, here's what, where we said, what we said we're going to spend. Here's where we came in. Right. So that's, that's coming back to the point. That's the first order of business dial in that chart of accounts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
what next? So from there, um, w- one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of doing is, is I begin with analyzing last year's results. So by the time I get to December, I've done, in, in my case, I've done a monthly financial review. I think business owners at the very least should be doing a quarterly financial review with their accountant, financial controller, bookkeeper, whatever size of business, depending on your size of business, whatever you have. But I've done every month's monthly financial review. So I've reviewed 11 out of the 12 months and, and I kind of know where December is going to come in at. So I'm reviewing the the closing year's results and and getting my learning. And I'm looking at the budget, what I budgeted for a year ago versus the actuals. And of course, I know that if it's your first time that you're going to go through an exercise like this, you obviously don't have that. But that's the really nice to do to be able to reflect and learn from that previous year. So here here's something that I... um here's an objection I hear come up a lot from, mm-hmm. from business owners is they'll, they'll do the, um, they'll say something like this. Like, you know, I, I wrote a budget one year and then, and then we were way off. <laughs> like it, we, totally. it wasn't even close sure. to what we actually spent. And so there's no, like, there's no point in, in making one. Cause it's, it's not that accurate. I'm not like, I clearly can't forecast. I can't predict. So what's the point? Like, what, what would you say to that? hundred percent. It's like when, when LeBron James shot his first hundred free throws and, and, and dropped 32 of them in the, you know, did he ask himself, well, you know, why can I only hit 32%, right? It's, it's when it's your first time doing it, like you are going to be way off. I was way off. Everyone's way off. This is a skill that is acquired like all other skills in life and business. And it's going to take you four or five disciplined focus years of doing this to be able to get to the point where you are, you are going to be accurate. So what, when you do it the first time, are you going to be way off? I can Probably. almost guarantee it. Yeah. And um, if you're smart, what you'll do is you'll learn from it. And at the end of this episode, I want to talk a bit about like one of the closing things that I do where I go and actually put comments on every part of the budget, which is my thinking of how I got to that, you know, that, that, that amount, all the revenue items, the variable cost items, the fixed cost items. But when I, um, when I go through those, I'll actually put in comments and formulas and all this stuff solely for the purpose of my learning next year. So you kind of have to look at it as like, there, there's absolutely some benefit in doing this in the first year, but the biggest benefit is going to be in your year own learning. Year two, year three, year exactly, four. Exactly, you're going to look at it the next year. It's compounding and the year after and the right. year after. And if you're smart, you're going to document your notes and you're going to be able to look back at the previous year and be like, whew, I was way off on that, on that number. What was I thinking? Okay, let right. me read through my comments. Okay, right. Okay, here's what I was way off. Now I know how I should go about thinking about this. That's the feedback machine part. That's the feedback machine, right? Yeah. You're like, well, I said I was going to spend, you know, $46,000 on t- subscription technologies and all this stuff. And I spent 92,000. How the heck is that possible? <laughs> right. Man, I really need to think through this more. So next year, what I might start to do is I might create even a separate tab in a separate spreadsheet and actually map out all of my technology items that I know I'm using. The CRM, the uh, the labor, like the hours tracking software on my staff, the QuickBooks, the... Um, the payroll software, like all, all, all this kind of stuff, right? But I might actually then budget them because I was like, man, I was way off in the previous year, right? And and that's happened to me. That's really happened to me a ton. Totally. Right? And, and that, that's where- It's gonna this, happen to everyone a that, ton. Yeah, that, that's where this learning is, has, has really come in, right? Okay, so so um, it's all about the reps. You're, you're gonna get it. You're gonna be way off the first time. Go into it and like write the budget knowing that you're probably gonna miss this totally. by a wide margin. And it's not about year one. It's about like the habits you're building for three years from now. 
Totally. That's a, that's exactly. a huge thing I think people need to hear about this. It's not like an immediate ROI. It's a long-term play. So, 100%. And so before you move on, let me just make one final point from an example that's that that's very front of mind for me right now. Um, one of, so I was very lucky. I've had a number, I would say probably four or five pretty impact, like very impactful mentors over the course of like eight, nine years in business. One of them, uh, his name is Dave. Uh, one of the things I remember being really blown away about the way, like I'd be in the office there with him. Um, we, we were building an organization together and, um, in the kind of in the, in the window and gutter cleaning space. And one of the things he was, he was doing, he, he owned and ran a very large painting company as well. And he had his, his, his bookkeeper financial controller. I can't remember exact her exact title at that point, but, um, she was in this very formal meeting in the boardroom with him. And it was like three, four, five hours once a month where they were doing the monthly financial review and they were looking at the actual results on the month. So this is like, let's say March the 10th, he's doing the February financial review with her and they're in the boardroom with it up on a, on the big screen TV and they're looking at every line item, the actual results and clicking into it, looking at all the transactions that are listed within there. So, and looking at the, the, the actual results versus the budget for that month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, and he did this like religiously. It was like every, every it was pre-scheduled for the year. It was all the time. And I was like, man, he must be learning so much stuff about like, huh, what was I thinking going into that budget? Okay, here's where it happened. And it's weird because you do it over and over and over again. And over the course of three years, you're doing that 36 times, right. this like four or five hour meeting. And after three years, you know, he's got this uncanny ability. He'll be like, this is going to come in here. With a with an unbelievable amount of precision, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so many reps, right? So that that's that kind of learning piece that that I that I think is so important. It's really good. Yeah. So spe- speaking to the chart of accounts, um, one thing that comes up a lot is um, there's confusion, widespread confusion around like distinguishing certain categories. Mm-hmm. So. Is this a variable expense? Is this a fixed expense? Is it something in between? Like, totally. how do you, how do you go? Are there any rules or any insight you have um, around sort of allocating those to the different sections of your PL? Yeah, when I look at a PL, my eyes automatically break it down into three categories. Like, I visually just see three things, right? I see the revenue box, I see the variable cost box, and I see the fixed cost box, right? And to your question of distinguishing between variable and fixed costs, so just very simply, I keep it very simple. If I can attribute a certain cost to a job, like to a specific job level, it'll go to variable costs. If I cannot easily do that, I'll throw it into the fixed cost line items, okay. right? I'll give you some examples. So I ran a painting company for a bunch of years, right? So I've got a ton of crews that are running around on different job sites. Uh, when paint, stain, primer, whatever gets picked up, uh, they will tag a job name onto it, right onto the PO at mm-hmm. the paint store. So they're at Sherwood Williams or Dulux or whatever. They'll um, it'll get tagged to a specific job name. The accountant will will attach it to that job in in our job costing system, and it'll go into a variable expense. Now, if they're picking up a set of just what we call like sundry supplies, so they're picking up like drop sheets, rollers, brushes, uh, grates, uh, cut cans. Uh, stuff you're going to use on any Stuff job. you're going to use on I don't bother trying to break that out. Yeah. Right? So I'll just throw it. I'll have a fixed cost line item for, for that kind of stuff. Now, is it technically a fixed cost? Are you saying like, well, if I do more jobs, am I going to use more sundry supplies? Technically, yes. An accountant might be like, well, yeah, that's a variable cost. But 
that one's kind of debatable. I are on the side of like, just keep things simpler, right? From that perspective. But there are big things like I can attach overall materials, in this case, paint, but it can be roofing shingles or whatever else. If I can, if I can say this, you know, set of shingles went to that house, of course you can, mm-hmm. then it's, it's, it's a variable cost. And, and of course you're estimating for it accordingly, right? Labor, absolutely. I can attach labor to a specific job. We're tracking hours, right? Hopefully you're using some sort of like hours tracking software, mm-hmm. right? You can attach, you can attach those hours to the Mr. Jones job, um, or I need to rent, uh, you know, I need to rent this 125 foot boom lift, right? This like Z125 or S125 or whatever it is. And I'm attaching it to that specific job for that strata or HOA. Um, that's where it goes right. and the rental cost goes there. So I might have rental costs. I'll have materials, I'll have labor, but if I have trouble breaking it out, then if it's going to like, you know, again, this set of drop sheets and paintbrushes and rollers or whatever. This is just a simple example. But if it, if it's going to be used between the next 50 jobs, I'm not going to bother trying to break that out. So so that's that one. Where people really, really, now coming up to your question, one of the areas where they get really confused is around labor because there's two completely different kinds of labor. Yeah. Right? You have what I'd call like revenue producing labor, mm-hmm. which is in the field. They are holding a shovel or on a ladder, with on a ladder, on with the equipment, site. they're on the job site. Their their hours are billed to the customer. If yep. that makes sense, yep. very directly, that is a variable cost. They're budgeted for in the actual estimate, right? As opposed to something like an office manager or an estimator, right. because they are a fixed cost line item. They're on a salary now. Yes, they might have bonuses, which, by the way, I would keep in the fixed cost for simplicity. Mm-hmm. I would keep them. I would keep those those bonuses in the fixed cost, but uh, overall, those are two completely different kinds of labor. One is fixed when they're when they're when they're non revenue producing, and most often they're salaried. Not always, but most often. And then and then you've got your field labor, which is a variable expense because it's revenue producing. Right. What about what about some of those blended roles, like like a project manager who mm-hmm. is like working on job sites, but he's also in his vehicle sometimes and driving between them. He's not necessarily, you know, got a hammer in his hand or a nail gun in his hand, but he is attached mm-hmm. to the jobs, but he's also somewhat a manager. Like, like a lot of people have questions about that. Where, where do they fit in? So my advice to you would be to budget for that individual's hours into every estimate. If they're going to be a part of actually driving the production of that job, you may want to think about having a cost allocation in your actual estimate, the way that you'd estimate for total materials, you'd estimate them right into the labor. And in which case, then you can allocate them at that job level into the variable cost. If if their role is so management related, because production managers can be a pretty loose term, if their role is so management related where they have no direct contribution to a job, then yeah, maybe you're not budgeting for them directly. They're built into your overhead structure. Yeah. Um, But if you're, if it's a smaller business and you have this production manager actively involved in jobs and it can be multiple jobs, then absolutely budget them in, build straight to the customer. Yeah. Okay. So here's another one. Um, I see people struggling with a lot is plan like building a sales and production yeah. plan, like understanding how much revenue we're actually going to go out and sell and then produce. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, it is truly a ballpark estimate. 
we did 1.6 last year, but things felt good. So I think we'll do two <laughs> next <laughs> year. And like that, they're actually not like way off a lot of the time, but it isn't a super like dialed in or super thought through approach. How do you go about building a really accurate, like almost scientific revenue plan for the business? Totally. When I say it's important to put something out there into the universe and the world, that wasn't exactly what I was talking about. I was guessing to it. I, you know, I think we, you know, we did 2 million this year. I think, I think we could do three this year. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, you, you see that a lot. I think that there's a way more methodical way to actually think through that where you're going to be significantly more accurate. This is not a feelings based thing is like, you need to look at what is reasonable versus here's what I think we can grow by. Yeah. Totally different approaches. That's like black and white, night and day, totally different. The way that I like to think about this is, um, so I've never had investors into a business. I've actually never built a business with a dollar of debt even to, to, to any kind of creditors. But the way that I think about it is if I had a group of investors and I had to stand in front of a panel, which you do for a lot of these kind of, if you think about companies that, that have a bunch of investors behind them, you have to stand in front of a panel every year and you have to, you have to defend the budget that you built as they go try to poke holes in it of like, why this? Does this make sense? How have you thought through that? And I like to imagine when I'm building a budget that I'm going to have to go defend it, mm. right? So I have to have some level of like very rational logic of if I say we're going to do 3.26 million in revenue this year, why? You got to be able to, to defend it. You have to be able to defend it. So what I like to do is to think, okay, how can I rationally, how do I rationalize whatever number I'm coming to? Now, every business is different, but you know in your business how you get to revenue, in our contracting world, now every industry might be a bit different in every, whether you're doing more residential, commercial, roofing, construction, whatever, but ultimately you've got to sell jobs and you've got to produce jobs, right? If we really boil it down, that's, that, that, yep. that's what it comes down to. You've got to sell stuff and you've got to produce work. So on the sales end, I got to think through, okay, this year, if I'm going to produce it, I got to sell it, right? We can't produce jobs that we don't have booked. Um, how do I go about booking jobs? How does that happen? Right? So- I got to sign a contract, get a deposit, whatever. How do I do that? Well, typically there's some sort of estimate, right? So I say, okay, if I'm going to produce, I want to produce 3 million. Well, if I want to produce 3 million, how many jobs is that going to be? And well, guess what? If you look back at your records, hopefully you have a CRM. And if you don't, you've got some sort of job records. You can find out is what is your average job size? Right. And every, yes, of course, every job's a different size, but look at the last five years, add them all together. You're going to have a good statistical average. Like your average job size is $15,426 mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and you can say, okay, well, here's how many jobs that is. Right. Okay. So to book how many job to book that many jobs, I got to estimate them first. How many estimates do I have to do? What am I closing at? If you have a CRM, it'll tell you because they're all in there, right? But are you closing at 28%? Are you closing at 76%? Like anywhere within there, right? But you can figure out if I'm like, okay, well, I got to, if I want to do 3 million in revenue, I got to do X number of jobs based on my average job size. Right. If I need to do that number of jobs, I, based on my closing ratio, I need to do this number of estimates. Totally right? Is that reasonable? And here's the good thing, a year, this is what I think most people kind of head into a year and it's this like big long span of time. I'm like, dude, it's, it's only 12 months. It's 52 weeks. You know what you can get done in a week, you yeah, know, yeah. cause you know how fast yeah. weeks go by, yeah. right? So what's reasonable? How many estimates are reasonable in a week? How many estimates are reasonable in a month? You know that. 
because you this happens over and over again. So you you break the year down into these fifty two weeks or these twelve months, and you say what is reasonable from a number of le- how many leads am I getting? How many of those leads can I estimate? Based on those number of estimates, how how can I how many jobs am I booking? Right. So you're putting this rational thought, and it's not complicated. Break it down in an Excel file. I've got 52 yeah. rows or 12 rows if you want to do monthly, weekly, whatever. Um, but put that rational thought behind it. But your key metrics are like for a certain amount of revenue, how many jobs is that based on your average job size? How many estimates does it take to book that many jobs based on your success rate, closing closing deals? Mm-hmm. And then to do that many estimates, how many leads do you lose on, like what percentage of your leads do you estimate? How many qualified leads can you get from the market? Right, so that, that that's the sales side of it. So I'm thinking through rationally. Come back to this point. I'm defending it in front of a panel of investors, and then and then there's a production side. Well, now we've got to produce this work too, right? So in a year, it's only 12 months. It's only 52 weeks, and there's often some sort of seasonality more when we can produce more in certain times than others. But I'm looking at you know if I've got in-house labor, what's my aggregate charge rate, right? right. So if I'm doing a fifteen thousand dollar job, you look at in the way that you estimate how many labor hours is that based on the hourly charge rate that includes labor and materials, everything's encompassed in that charge rate, right? But I'm, I, you know, I, I go to the site and here's what I'm billing out my labor at. So you can see, okay, well, how many labor hours do I need to produce, right? How many employees is that? So what's reasonable? And if you're subbed, what is your sub capacity? Yeah. Right. This is like all the, the, the interesting thing about a lot of the stuff and, and, you know, we're throwing out some terminology here that maybe some listeners are unfamiliar with, but we, you know, we, we could teach you relatively quickly what the definition of an average job size is, what the definition of totally. a sales ratio is, what the definition of lead slippage is like these, this is all, these are just words that we've come up with to describe these things. But the point is, if you're looking at this stuff really closely, this is like grade eight level math. It's just like so simple. Yeah. Times this divided by that. There's a percentage here. It's it's a very, very simple flow through yeah. to create these. What was your revenue last year? How many jobs did you do in total? Does your average job size? Totally. It's simple, right? So it's it all of this is 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 very simple logic. I think the fundamental point is you're not just guessing. You're not saying we did two million last year. I think we can do three. You're 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 putting rational thought into okay. Well, how are we going to do three? How are we going to sell three million and then produce three million? Mm-hmm. How many jobs do I need to sell? How many estimates is that going to equate to? How many leads from the marketplace do I need to do that many estimates? And then how am I going to have the labor to produce three million? Yeah, you've created really clear marching orders for your business's divisions, basically. Exactly. Now, right. are you going to follow it to a T? No, you're not. But you've got a plan. Right. Right. Uh, it's like like a military general, right? Like just, just because your plan is going to go off in battle, which you know that often it will, doesn't mean that you have no plan going into battle. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Right. You're absolutely tweak. You absolutely pivot. This is why, and there's a whole other episode that, in, that we will get to, but this is why you do monthly or at very least quarterly financial reviews where you recap on all these stats because otherwise you cannot, you cannot learn. So, so, um, another one that we see misjudged a lot is, is variable cost, uh, more specifically labor. Um, a lot of business owners struggle to make accurate forecasts, sometimes to the tune of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. depending on the size, Mm -hmm. you know, we think we, we think roughly we're going to, you know, have this many hours to produce this much and, and, um, they can be way, way, way off. Um, how do you address that? 
So very similar to this concept of like, if you had to defend it. So what you're, what you shouldn't be doing is taking a big wild guess. While we spent 1.1 million on labor last year, maybe we'll spend 1.5. Right. There's always a calculation. And yes, every business is different. But what, what I want you to think about is that when you're estimating, you are estimating for these labor hours, whether, whether you realize it or not. Because when you roll up to a house, like you do have some sort of estimating system. And you're saying, well, I think that this is going to take, you know, 126 labor hours, right? And at least, at the very least, you really should be, Right. And you're saying this is going to be 126 labor hours and here's the, the cost of this job. So right in there sits an implicit charge rate. Right. Right. So you can figure out if I'm doing a $15,000 job, here's my aggregate per hour, including materials, including all that stuff. So you know that data point. And you know this other data point, which is your your cost per labor hour for different types of roles mm-hmm. that you have in the business. Now, by the way, don't forget to add burdens because you have stuff like workers' compensation coverage. Every state and province has different like uh, pension plan, employment insurance. I mean, everyone's different, but let's call it an aggregate burden rate. So you should know what it is. So if you're paying um, a labor $20 an hour, it of course costs you, that costs you more than 20. So now I know my exact, I know that it might cost me, you know, if I pay them, uh, if I pay them $20 an hour, it costs me $24 and 62 cents or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So you know the exact percentage of, of burdens on top of that. But the point is, is you can actually look at, okay, here's all the different labor types that I have, right? So I've got my labor, a lead hand, a project manager, whatever. And, and, and you've got that list and you know how much you pay them, what the pay scale is. And you can figure out with burdens, here's how much each of these labor hours costs me. And if I'm going to produce whatever's in the budget, 3 million, here's how many labor hours that's going to be based on my overall charge rate. So again, you're using very simple math to break that down versus just saying like, I think it'll be one and a half million instead of 1.1. Right, right, right. So that's that that that's sort of the you're asking about the variable cost side, but I will speak to the fixed cost side because this one's also super important. People ask all the time, like, how do I know when I can hire this office manager, this new project manager, estimator, or whatever? Um, I use just a very simple but very thorough uh, spreadsheet of all the roles in the business, mm-hmm. who's in the roles, those roles, and sometimes it's a question mark because you've not hired them yet. And then I budget for that salary for every month of the year, right? So I know if I'm hiring somebody, if I'm planning to hire this new estimator for June the 1st, so think about a spreadsheet, you've got all these columns, there, there's nothing in there for January, February, boom, boom, boom. But let's say you're bringing into them and they're, they're bringing them in, in on, let's say July 1st in the, in the, you know, in the second half of the year there. And you've got, uh, starting July, you've got their salary plus burdens accounted for right in there, right? So if they make $60,000 a year, it's $5,000 a month, yeah. right? Plus so it's 5,000 plus the burden rate in your jurisdiction. Um, and that's being budgeted for right in there. And every year when I'm in this plan, I'm looking at my full spreadsheet of all the employees and their salaries and everything. Like, and I'm saying, okay, are we moving this person up by this much? We're moving this person up by that much. And I'm looking at that overall aggregate plan. Right, but cool. I, I will very often have an entire tab in my budgeting file that's just for salaried payroll, where I'm planning out their salaries, their bonuses, and then the breakdown per month. Yeah, um, so not a ballpark at all. Um, are there f- you mentioned fixed cost items? Like, are there, are there fixed cost? 
PL items that people either chronically overspend on, mm-hmm. underspend on, or just don't understand very well? Yeah, 100% there are. I mean, stuff that I see business owners, like in, in our space, not really thinking about are like recruiting, right? People right. think about how am I going to get my leads and maybe a little bit they think about marketing, but... I mean, we we have, generally speaking, a shortage of people more so than we have a shortage of work. And uh, it blows my mind how little like percentage of a budget is allocated towards recruiting, like tactical, thought through, methodical recruiting practices where there's strategy and then ad spend behind, like I'm driving, just like how you drive leads in marketing, like I'm driving leads in recruiting. Um this is a really interesting point because if you were to survey like, you know, we've there's 400, nearly 400 companies that we coach within Breakthrough Academy right now. If you surveyed all of them, I, I bet you 98% of them are going to say the bottleneck in my business is production. Totally. Nobody, nobody is going to say, oh, we can't find customers. We can't get leads. By mm-hmm. and large, the phone's ringing off the hook and they're turning away revenue because they haven't got the bodies on the team to execute it. And so... If you look at where people are allocating their time and energy, it's like, what, like, why are you spending all this time going and doing estimates for people that you can't even do and spending money on marketing for that when you're like, you're, you know, the thought of spending $200 to have a top ad on LinkedIn or on, or on Indeed is like, oh, I don't want to spend that money. It's like, there's a huge, um, there's a disconnect here between where the actual, bottleneck is in the business. I I see it all the time. If you're a larger business and you're fully recruiting, like you best be spending a thousand dollars a week on between, between different like pay-per-click ad, you know, pay-per-click ads and things like that. So anyways, recruiting is a really big one. It doesn't get thought through. It doesn't get budgeted while as a line item of Mm -hmm. what roles are we going to need? How are we going to go about recruiting them this in the next 12 months and what's going to, where am I going to need to spend on that? Whether it's a recruiter or HR support or ad spend or copywriters to build these beautiful ads and job descriptions and stuff, whatever it is, but you cut a budget for that stuff and then spend it, mm-hmm. spend that budget. Um, another one is accounting, oh. mind blowing how poorly people know their numbers right. and how little they spend on accounting. Professional services to actually do that for them. Absolutely. Whether it's an in-house accountant or an actual contracted accountant, but that's focused, right? If you are, if you're running a $3 million business, you better at least be spending $3,000 a month on on the regular bookkeeping plus a really strong year-end accountant, right? Like I, I mean, it depends on the business size, but I'll say like I spent significant money on, on like, on, on actual tax strategy and and year-end accounting. And that's the stuff that is going to A, keep you out of trouble, like serious financial trouble and B, save a lot of money in taxes because of smart tax strategies. So again, a whole other episode, yeah. we'll get very, very smart tax strategists to, here at the table. But um, that's another area that's grossly underspent on. Coming back to your point, if you can't measure it, you can't track it, you're not going to impact it. So many business owners, especially in contracting, running the business with the eyes closed just like this, uh, yet they grossly underspend on this stuff. Totally. I, I see that a lot. People will have, um, they'll have an office manager who's not even a trained bookkeeper and accountant doing a little bit of bookkeeping off the side of their desk. Totally. It's often late. It's often inaccurate. They're, they often get overwhelmed because they've been tasked with such an unbelievably important thing totally. that they actually don't fully understand how to do. And the owner's just like, well, she does it. 
He does it. 100%. It's like, how do you know that? 100%. Um, let's, here, I'll, I'll give you another big subject. Uh, how are you investing in the tangible value of your business? Mm. Right? Things that come to mind, your brand, mm. technology and infrastructure that, that, that you're putting in, right? If, if, if an investor and new owner was going to come and buy your business, are you the business and is it your personal brand or have you built a powerful and engaging brand that captivates your marketplace? Two totally different approaches right? In the last couple of years, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on branding. And I would look back at it and say money super well spent, right? right? But most people just budget for advertising in general. They're not breaking down like how much are we investing in brand, in SEO, in pay-per-click, into web development, truck wraps and signage, right? Like, are you, are you, are you, when I, I sometimes ask people like, well, are you doing this business thing or not? Right. Right. Are you just like going to buy leads off you know, home stars, right? Totally. Yeah. Right. We, we would, we'd look at, I remember coming back to some mentors, right. When we're building a, a pretty strong brand that's now franchised all over Canada and now going into the U S I remember, you know, he would look at me and we'd we'd look at some of these big expenditures around brand and truck wraps and all this stuff. He'd be like, well, are we building this business or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you it's- in or you out? Are you building a brand or not? There's a mindset shift there. It's a mindset shift, yeah. right? But it, anyways, it's around some of this marketing stuff. Same thing with technology, right? Does everything go through you or do you have a, a robust and powerful CRM? Payroll tracking, like like our tracking software, are you implementing tools like company cam that allow inter, you know, company communication, Slack, Zoom, for like how are you tracking documents and forms and all this? Like it can't go through you. Yeah. Are you are you building a real business or not? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I think um a lot of you go you go to the brand piece. Like a lot of people will like guffaw at a quote from a graphic designer to to design a logo. Like I'm not gonna spend five grand on that. Whatever, we're fine with just like this totally. super crappy website and a phone number. It's like that you you are whether you realize it or not creating a bit of a ceiling for yourself permanently by by you hundred percent are. And, and the problem with these things is like people don't feel the pain today, right? Right. Like it's, no, it's, it's fine. It is technically fine right now. But long term, are you building a powerful brand or is it just something revolves around you build a landscaper? Yeah. Right. So anyway, th- th- those are those are generally those are generally some. But then I would just go through like I'll, I've you know spoken a bit to those. But regardless, like all of these fixed cost line items, I'm going through them all one by one by one. And I'm very methodically thinking through them. And this is an exercise that will go at least for a full day. Right. But it, I'm literally going line by line throughout my entire fixed cost sections. So um, do you have a sense for like what what good actually is? Like what are the benchmarks for a lot of mm-hmm. these things? Like um, net profit, for example, like let's just go super simple. Like what is the standard? What does good look like for a handful of industries? What's a healthy net profit for painting, for construction, for landscaping, for roofing? That's a question that comes up a ton, People, maybe they actually have hired a bookkeeper and they have an account mm-hmm. and do the stuff at the end of the year and they say, is is this good? Like we, totally. we have 6% at the end. I'm not actually not sure if this is like what other businesses are doing. We don't talk to each other. We're totally siloed off. I never talk to my competitors. Yeah, yeah. There's no textbook on it. I don't learn it on the job site. Like what are sort of some some standards yeah. for, for that number? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some some general frameworks on what we're seeing. Like within Breakthrough Academy, you know, there's about 400 companies in the program doing over a billion dollars a year in revenue. So it's, it's, it's decent a pre- sample size. It's a pretty decent sample size, right? So healthy and strong it'll depend 
on, I'll give you some kind of core industries with, okay. within contracting. Now it does of course really depend on your geographic area and the marketplace. It also depends on your split between like commercial, residential, all that kind of stuff. But generally painting will see 15 to 20% healthy net pro in a healthy situation at profit on the roofing side. We'll see in and around 15%, mm -hmm. right? It does vary a little bit depending on whether it's retail or like storm and insurance, but generally around healthy around 15% construction, really strong 12 to 15%, like large scale construction, right? Mm -hmm. And landscaping eight to 11% on like the, the install like construction side and higher than that, at least 15, 20% at least on the maintenance side net. Right. So what I'm doing when I'm budgeting, I'm going through the variable cost line items and the fixed cost line items. Uh, and I try to, you know, for me, one of the things I do, I try to not look at the net profit until the very end. I'm just going line by line by line by line. And I've been in many situations where I get through it all and I think I thought through it well. And then I look at the net and I'm like, sweet, that's where it should be. It's healthy. And I've been in situations where I go through it top to bottom and I'm spent like all day on this thing, sometimes with other stakeholders in there. And we get to the bottom and we're like, oh shit. Yeah, this is not good. This is not good. I don't want to go have this year. I don't want to go have this year. That's the exact yeah. thought that happens, right? I don't want to go and have this year. So, so what do you do then? Like if, you, if you've if you gone through, you, you know, you set up your little fire, your wood-burning fire in the cabin, you've, you've made the budget and you've gotten to the net profit at the bottom and you're like, whoa, we're going to like, I, with this plan, we're going to net 2%. Totally. What's the point of with all these people working this hard, if there's that much left over for the rest of us, like what's the actual process to go back and yeah. tweak it or, or do whatever you do? Totally. So what you do is you go grab some more wood from outside, you throw in the fire, <laughs> you need it to it's burn a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> you grab some scotch, throw a few ice cubes in and you go right back to the top of the budget. Right. So you go right back to the top. The analogy that I like that I kind of think about it for myself is, uh, you know, an amplifier mm -hmm. works like very basics, right? So you've got a, you've got a bunch of knobs. They control different aspects, like frequencies of the music. You oh, might have sound. like, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you've got your treble, your high, your mid, and your the low, the bass. And it's, that's what a budget's kind of like, right? So you've got the sound that comes out, which is your final net profit is dictated by the combination of these various different dials. So I've got, you know, like use the example of the three dials on the amplifier. I might have I've got one dial on the revenue. Mm -hmm. I've got a dial in and around all the variable cost items and I've got a dial on the fixed cost items. Mm -hmm. And the combination of the like the position of those three dials is going to is going to dictate how the sound comes out. It's just like that. The combination of the revenue, the variable expenses and the fixed expenses is going to dictate how that net profit comes out. So what I got to do is I got to go back and tweak and adjust each of those dials right from the beginning to get it to where I need it to be. So that's why you add the wood to the fire, grab some more scotch and we're right back to the top. And I'm like, I need to find more room. I need to increase revenue a little bit. If it's smart, if I can justify it, if I can defend it in front of that yeah. panel of investors, you know, in my head. And, uh, and I think through all the variable costs and I think through the variable costs, are we being not smart with certain expenditures? Right. And I tweak it to get it to where it should be. Cause that, that's the point that you said is spot on. I don't want to go have this year. And I'll say this, it, it, it often doesn't matter for me financially, right? Like, like you might not try to live, it's, it's not about how much money you're right, making. It's right. the fact that the business, if it's, if it's operationally excellent, it needs to make money. It doesn't matter how much you're drawing or not drawing at some level. It, it, like, even if you're not drawing a lot and there isn't 
a cash requirement for the business to make a lot of money, it needs to operate at a certain net margin because that is the margin of a healthy business. And whether you think about it or not, one day you will sell this thing. You're not going to die with it, right? And and what is a buyer or any kind of investor going to do is they're going to look back and say, is what is the financial track record of this thing? Right. And it needs to be healthy. You you have a duty as a business leader and as an owner to get the company to hit a healthy margin. Yeah, but you, and, and, and when, when you're trying to achieve this in your budget writing, you're not going back to the top and just slashing things arbitrarily. No. You're looking for the low-hanging fruit, am I totally. right? Like you're like, okay, well, okay, we could increase revenue. Let's look at the sales plan I've built. Oh, you know what? Like my sales team at this capacity is already maxed. Maybe you're it not doesn't, adding to it. Maybe it doesn't make sense to add to the sales you're plan. Not. Let's go find where where it's easier to reduce a cost on labor. Oh, you know what? We could we should we could fix the way we make orders on site and potentially reduce our material expenditure. Maybe we don't need to make that higher. Like you're you're looking for the easy 100%. stuff rather than just like, well, we'll just bump up sales by 50%. That's what you don't want to do. That's yeah. the maybe too much whiskey part. Right. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta absolutely be super smart in it. Like you're it is still it has to make rational sense. Come back to the example. Imagine you're going to have to stand in front of a panel of investors and defend this budget. You still have to have rationale behind what you're putting out there, right? So then, yeah, it's like maybe we're not implementing this piece of technology this year. We're not buying this these pieces of equipment or whatever it is. Like you have to be able to look at it and say, um, you know, this combination of these three dials, the revenue, the variable cost, and the fixed costs is going to end up something. This healthy. sounds good. This sounds good coming yeah. out of the amplifier. Exactly. I like this mix. Okay, let's go execute. Exactly. Um, when, is there a time of year that you should be doing this in particular? And how much time or should we be carving out to do this really well? Is it something you can fit in between meetings or doing the truck? <laughs> and like, what what time of the season is it optimal? Totally, it's not done in the truck and it's not done in between meetings. Um, I'll tell you what, what I found to work for me. Um, so I've intentionally aligned the fiscal start of the year for January 1st, just because most people just mentally mm-hmm. operate like New Year's is New Year's for a reason. Um, we've been brought up that way. Uh, people just think in annual cycles on the, you know, just January 1st to December 31st. So I've, you know, set our fiscal year to that. Uh, so it's, it's early to mid December, anywhere between like the 8th to the 15th, 16th. I don't push it too late because of the holidays starting on the 24th. And I try to roll this out to the team, the full strategic plan by then. So it's for me, it's in and around there. It's three days. It's fully remote. It's fully disconnected. Like I'm not in the office. It's literally no like at a, at a cabin in the woods to, you know, like you're, you're fully focused on this. It's three days, at least a full day of those three days is dedicated towards the budget, building out what I call like the annual financial plan. From there, I do monthly financial reviews. They're about three hours. And then I do a really thorough quarterly strategic planning session with the key stakeholders. Uh, it's two days, at least half of a day is dictated, is set towards what we call a, a budget retrend, which is a bit, maybe a bit complex, I think, for the time being, but we'll actually look at where the quarter came in right. and then we'll we'll make adjustments, what's called a retrend. We'll look to the end of the year based. So I'm saying at the end of Q2, half the year has gone by and I'm doing my going into Q3, my financial trend. I'm saying, okay, based on my best knowledge of what I know about the year now, where are we headed? Yeah. 
So, yeah, so, so, so mid December and probably for the, for the financial portion, it's, it's a day. Like it's, it's, yeah. you know, you've, From, you've, in, in, yeah, exactly. But if, if your fiscal year end is, is, you know, end of February, new year starts first of March, then you're probably yeah, doing it at some point, point early mid February. So it depends on when your fiscal year end is. Right. But it's, 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 it's as close to the end as you can go. So you've totally. got as much data, but it's not so late that you're not going to have exactly. it prepared and done in time for yeah. the start of the next fiscal year. That's, that's the important point. And then what do you do? So let's say somebody's listened to this. They've taken our advice. They go through the exercise. They write a budget. They go through a full 12 month cycle. They get to the end and they are like nowheresville. Like their numbers <laughs> are way off. They're out to lunch. Their, their sales came in at like 60% of what they thought it was going to be. Totally. They spent twice as much in materials than what totally. they thought. Like, like it's just all over the place. It's a mess. What, what yeah. advice would you have for someone like that? What, what steps do they take? Yeah. And, and man, I've had plenty of those so have I. when, yeah, to be exactly. Clear. Yeah, to be clear. When you look at it at the end and you're like, holy shit, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Totally. So here's my biggest advice, um, is you have to get good at the skill of learning from your own plans. You have to get good at the skill of learning from your own plans because that's how you're going to get better. You're going to totally blow it year one. You're going to be a bit closer to year two. You're still going to be off year three, but you're going to be even closer. But by, I promise you by year four, five, six and onwards, you're going to be super dialed if you keep learning. Now, how you keep learning, I'll give you my key for this is when you're building a budget and you're kind of putting in all these projections, the revenue, the variable cost, the fixed cost, what I do is in that spreadsheet, I use two things. I use formulas and comments into those cells. So in the formulas, I'll, use, I'll put in, I won't just put in the aggregate amount, $364,000. I'll use the formula of how I got to that. Mm, right. So if I've got right. vehicle leases and I've got a bunch of trucks and vans, I'm putting each like, you know, F-350, the first F-350, the second F-350, the F-150, the Sprinter van, the Transit Connect, like all these, you know, each vehicle. And I've, if I'm leasing them, I've got the monthly and annual lease implication, the cost of each one of those. And what I do is I right click on that cell and I insert a comment into that cell where I literally outline it, right? Like, First this F350, is what all these things are. Yeah. Second F three fifty. Here's the lease on each of them. The two sprinters, the Transit Connect, mm-hmm. whatever you have. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm just using the vehicle leasing example, but I'll but I'll I'll put that into the comments and then I'll put them into a formula equals this plus this plus this plus this. So if if rather if than a sum total, rather like than a sum total. So the, the mistake would be I'm going to do this on a napkin over here and get totally. my calculator and punch it out. Oh, and all together it's three hundred sixty four thousand input. Don't do that actually put it right in the formula cell with an Excel right so in the formula. you can visually see it a year and later because you're going to forget. You're, plus the you're totally going to forget because yeah. I've done this all before. Like I'll look back at it at a year later and I'm like, it was seemed very clear at the time when I put it in, but when I look back a year later, I'm like, what the heck was, totally was I? Off, but like, what was I yeah, thinking? Yeah, How did yeah, I even yeah. arrive at this number? This number makes no sense. Like, like it made no sense. I think it made no sense at the time. It clearly doesn't make sense now, but yes, it did make sense to you at that time, but you don't even know. how. So you can't learn from it. So, comments into the cells of your thought pattern and your logic and then write it into the formula that's what's going to foster your learning when you really blow it in the first year which you will um so that's that i want to just add a couple other points in closing this is we're getting into more advanced stuff now right this is this is a bit past just a very rudimentary budget but i want to talk a bit about like if if you're a bit more advanced with this stuff you got to understand that there's also there's no point of creating a budget and then having that budget sit as a well thought through spreadsheet file 
on your computer's hard drive right or google drive or dropbox it's collecting or dust on collecting the shelf. dust exactly yeah. you have to put it to some sort of use and this is where these these monthly financial reviews come in i do them monthly at least you should be doing them quarterly with your bookkeeper accountant financial controller if you're nancy the bookkeeper down the street doesn't even know what a quarterly financial review is she shouldn't be your bookkeeper. <laughs> bookkeeper. And and you should be spending money on it. The market allows you to budget money for it, spend it, yeah. right? It's It should be an implicit part of your budget and you can still absolutely be profitable with it. Um, but but you got to be reviewing this budget on a regular basis. Otherwise, it's not useful. One of the things I'll say is, is um, what, what good leaders do is is they give their team budgets. Um, you know, I know on the on the show we had Will Brown, and he talked a lot about how he implements Jocko's principles mm-hmm. into his business. And one of the things he does is he gives his team control, mm-hmm. right? And teams have allocated budgets for certain things because he's put them into his budget. So for certain things, there's these guideposts, right? Like people that deal with marketing expenses, right? Sales related expenses, technology related expenses, certain like significant investments at initiatives. You might have your office manager that's overseeing a CRM implementation or the implementation of a new like payroll and labor hour tracking software or uh, inter-team communication like Microsoft Teams or Slack or whatever. You give them that budget and you let them run with it. But this is the key thing coming back to why do we budget? If I've not budgeted for this, I'm I'm, how can I go give my team these budgets, right? So you you give them these guideposts mm-hmm. then that they can go stick within. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 using this, you're actively using this budget to disseminate guidance to your team. So the point is 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 don't have it sit and collect dust on the shelf. It's not just inside of your computer's hard drive or whatever as as a spreadsheet. You're actively using it throughout the year. I reference our strategic plan, revenue plan, full annual financial plan, budget, labor planning, all that stuff on a very regular basis. Yeah. So good. A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff there. I think some of the big, big takeaways for me would be do it knowing that you're probably going to be way off for the first time. Get really, really good at tracking this stuff and do it more often than you think. and Probably spend more money on bookkeeping and accounting and professional services than you already are. Totally. You don't want to be driving a car blind. Awesome. Let's leave it at that, man. Thank you so much for sharing all this stuff. Awesome. Fun chat. And one thing I'm really looking forward to in future episodes, there's so many more intricacies Mm. and powerful concepts in, in financial management in that whole sphere of business that we can dive into. So I'm pumped for those. We will get to all of it. Awesome. Hey, if you enjoyed this show, hit that subscribe button. It's what allows us to produce more awesome content for you totally for free.